I'm telling you, I'm, I'm excited about being here. What a church you've got here. Even have a monitor in the pulpit. Did you know that? You know, I, I may just sit down and watch myself preach. This is good. We'll just replay this morning. Hey, this is a wonderful place to be. I, I've been now in enough churches uh, over the course of my ministry, but especially these last, this last year and a half or so, to really appreciate what you have here. And uh, I've learned, you know, some of the churches I go to, maybe I should back up a little bit. So what, what I've been doing, I'm 43 years of ministry, and uh, the Lord seemed to make it clear it was time for us to uh, surrender the, 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 the pastorate in Santa Rosa. My son, William, missionary to China, 17 years, uh, had come out for uh, their first real furlough of their entire ministry. Uh, and it was in Christmas 2019. So they're going to be here stateside for a couple months. And it was right at that time that the pandemic hit. And uh, so they were not able to get back into China. And uh, he <clears throat> served the Lord with a great preacher for a time. Uh, the Lord just worked things out where he was for a span with uh, Clint Cavanis, a great preacher up in Roseburg, Oregon, who just uh, early this year went home to be at the Lord. And, uh, and then uh, the Lord led them out to briefly to Atlanta for a little bit. And, and I'd, I'd, I'd been asking him, every once in a while I'd ask him, how would you feel about someday becoming the pastor of our church? Maybe even work with me for a while. No, dad, no, dad, no, dad. And uh, so when it came, when it really became time for us to go, I felt so certain of it. Um, I had a list of five guys I would like to see uh, take the church, preferably. And he was absolutely number one. Our people love him. He's an incredible preacher, a great organizer, and just everything you want to see in a pastor. And uh, so I asked him if he would take it, and initially it was a negative reaction. Then I was, well, Dad, let me pray about it. And, uh, and so uh, finally, he went on a 21-day fast, did not eat any food for 21 straight days, and uh, took it to the Lord. And finally, <clears throat> I'd call him, try not to bug him too much. I'd call him, Dad, could I have a few more days to think about it, pray about it? And uh, so I'd, put, I'd deferred, deferred, deferred. And finally, I thought, look, I've got four other names here. I'm going to call one more time, and then I'm going to start, you know, calling these other guys, see what their interest level might be. And uh, so I called, and he said, Dan, and I really, there's like, there's like a, you know, that Hail Mary pass, that forlorn hope, that one more shot at it. And I was like, Dan, I just met the family and told them that the Lord has directed us to go to Santa Rosa and uh, so we're coming out. So that was from Atlanta. And I was, of course, overjoyed about that. And uh, January of last year, he took over the church, doing a phenomenal job. Uh, you know, we, uh, we saw the fact that there's even an independent Baptist church in Sonoma County, if you know that area at all along the coast, is really remarkable. And uh, we survived all these years. And, 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 and so under my pastorate, we had a couple months. We had 175. We averaged more like about 125 for quite some time. Uh, Post-COVID, we built it back up from just a handful to back up around 80, 85. And on, on Father's Day, he had over 150 in church. And if you could see our, the situation there, it's in a business park. And usually a business park means that at least you know you've got parking on the weekends and on in the weeknights. But we're right next door to a major uh, it's, it's, a, it's a deacon training facility, a wall, cl a wall climbing center 
they teach deacons how to put pastors right at the wall. And, uh, but no, it's for these guys that want to uh, practice their rock climbing skills, you know, uh, while they're, you know, still in, in town or uh, during in, inclement weather. And so then they also added a gym. Then they added children's programs and, uh, and all kinds of stuff. And they've become very popular and so I admire them for their marketing. But the problem is they suck up all the parking all the time. So parking is difficult. Uh, a lot of people don't think of a business park as a good church location. Though once you walk in the door, it's very much a first-class operation. And, uh, but people you know, hesitant, just even give it that first try. And so to see what he's accomplishing already is really thrilling to my heart. So that brings me back on then to Laura, my wife, and myself. And uh, so we felt the Lord was leading us back down to San Diego. I say it that way because I was an associate to Doug Fisher, Lighthouse Baptist Church of San Diego, for 13 years. And uh, we felt we'd go back down there. My mother's down there. She needed our care. And so we went down to be help to her. And then I, I'm not retired retreaded maybe, but not retired. And so I went down there and I thought, I'll just make my own ministry. And I refer to myself as the pastor's friend. You might call it a quasi-evangelist type of ministry. Uh, I don't want to fully call myself at this stage an evangelist. I'm not, uh, though I'll, I'll go anywhere God opens doors for me to preach or to serve, uh, I'm not you know, wanting to go full-time on the road and, and you know, subject my wife to that and so forth at this stage. So, uh, uh, but I've just befriended 20 independent Baptist pastors around San Diego County. Three of them are Hispanic churches, and I go in and just enjoy being in the service. Sometimes there's interpretation, sometimes there's not, but I I just love their spirit. And uh, and, uh, so, but some of the churches are very small. We're doing just a handful of people, including a couple right down in Imperial Beach down by the border. And, and, and some others are very small. Others have been around for a while, and they actually have property, which is huge. As you know, any coastal county in California have property. It's huge. But, but here's what I'm leading up to, and that's this. We sense the difference in your church because we've been exposed now to a lot of churches that are small. And it's okay if that means getting started. We understand the challenges of starting a church, especially in coastal California. But sometimes you're small because <laughs> you've got a small church attitude. You got bad habits in place. You walk, I mean, the things that we see. We walk in, we see an attractive entrance. We see a nice foyer. We see a beautiful auditorium. We see the thought that went into making these, these decorations and the, what they're emphasizing, what they're encouraging in you. We see the, the, the beauty of, of your 50 years display here on either side of me. We, we, just, we, just, we, we see how well the services are organized and run. We, you put it all together, it's a great package. And I, I don't mean to sound overly like a worldly business, but, you know, but, but those things matter. And, and it's, you, are, you are set for greater growth as God blesses in the future. Just keep going after souls, keep going after people, and watch God bless. Now, I, I really believe that under Pastor and Mrs. Brown, the best is yet to come for a church, even that's had a 50-year history which you need to be congratulated for even just in and of itself. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, I, I did want to say briefly that I appreciated Josh and, and his, his comments, uh, Pastor Brown's stepson. And uh, glad to see that he is, though he has issues with, these, with this device. He is getting up in the world. 
But I share his concern about steps. Have you ever noticed how they stare? I'm telling you, there is something, Josh, to all this. So praise the Lord. And, <laughs> oh, man, and then I'm supposed to preach. Ah, <laughs> your pastor was overly kind to talk about enjoying time with, with, with Arthur and Laura at lunch. It's, it's, uh, it's more like, praise the Lord, we endured. <laughs> we, we have endured, and uh, we were saved. <laughs> we, we, we endured to the end, and we were saved. But we thoroughly enjoyed our time with them and, uh, and with all of you through the course of the day. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll launch into this message here tonight. Father, I want to thank you so much for what Laura and I have seen here today, how it has lifted our spirits and it's encouraged us. There have been times, Lord, I love these pastors, I love their churches, but there are times I leave grieving for the potential that's being thrown away, the opportunities lost Sometimes for just simple things like not taking the time to straighten the auditorium before a service, to not, not do the very best, though they are a small congregation, not to do the very best they can. In some cases, Lord, not being friendly and outgoing and making one, even a preacher, feel very much the outsider and questioning whether he's even wanted in, on the premises. Lord, I want to thank you for what we've seen and felt here today. And I rejoice, Lord, I want to hear great things that you are going to do through this pastor and his people. And now tonight, Lord, we're coming to you, and once again, we want to hear from the Word of God. Rachel, please speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray that this will move some people in the right direction of what they have always known since they've been saved. This is what they should be doing. Some were involved, and they've set it aside. We all got very much battered by the recent pandemic but Lord Satan had a field day. And we need to get back to seeking first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, letting all these things of the world uh, be added as you, as you see fit to us, Lord, the true needs that we might have. And Lord, I pray that uh, those uh, who have not yet become involved will be, will be, Lord, and they'll be moved, Lord, some to come back, some to get in. And for all this, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2005, during the July 4th three-day weekend of that year, the elderly and retired Gaylord Nelson, former governor of and senator of Wisconsin, died. The liberals mourned his passing, hailing him as one of the four greatest environmentalists of the last century. It was he who initiated Earth Day in 1970. Gaylord Nelson may have been described as a great politician, environmentalist, perhaps even statesman. But in the words of our Lord Jesus, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The humblest of God's servants will have more significance and greater honor in Christ's kingdom of a thousand years, as well as in heaven, than the greatest of earth's statesmen will enjoy. In fact, you and I, we can have a greater impact for good upon our present world than the United Nations, the President of the United States, the Senate, the House of Representatives, the Supreme Court, and all the state houses of the land combined. No one ever did more for mankind 
than did our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet it was Jesus himself who stated, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. There are a lot of ways for a man to demonstrate his patriotism, revealing his love and devotion toward the United States of America, his commitment to protect the homeland, and his determination to promote the high ideals upon which our nation was founded. Ideals that, by the way, originated from the King James Bible. He can join the armed forces and be willing to fight for his country. Many of our young people chose this route of national service following the attack in our country on September 11th, 2001. A patriot can get involved in politics, doing his utmost to get the right people elected and to promote, to promote proposals that he's convinced will strengthen our nation. He can voice his views in letters to the editor, to the editor on social media, and on talk shows. He can find like-minded people and register them to vote and even help them get to the polls. He can pass out informational literature and send money to favored candidates and political action committees. He can choose government service as his career and seek to be an exceptional bureaucrat who really wants to do his best for the good of his country and his fellow citizens. He can give his life and service to the community in a wide variety of volunteer capacities. And then, of course, he can simply be a good citizen by voting in every election, flying the flag, and supporting good causes that improve the security and stability of the country. Those are all noble ways for one to serve his country and his people. But in my mind, none of these is the highest form of patriotism. A true patriot not only wants to protect his country from foreign invasion and terrorism, he wants to protect his nation from those internally who would do it harm through political subversion, corruption, crime, and mere neglect. There is only one activity I know of, and only one, that can turn evil people into righteous people, that can make good citizens out of bad citizens, that can make shining conservatives out of flaming liberals. And beloved, you're not an ignorant people. What is that one activity? I've heard it a couple places here. Salvation, which is going to come about as a result of your involvement in what activity? Soul winning. He that winneth souls is wise. He's wise because that's where the Savior's heart is. It's wise because it changes the eternal destiny of that soul. It's wise because it betters the community. I'll I, I tell you what, if I was, a, if I was an out-and-out out atheist, I'd be all for this church and soul winning. I want all my neighbors to be coming here. I don't want all of them to be Christians. I want all of them to be nice, good people. <laughs> I'll tell you, one of the things you know where atheism is satanic is how aggressive they are to want to make everyone as stupid as they are and, and as violently imp, uh, natured as they are, as backward as they are. 
Man, if they, if, if, they, if they truly believe it's only about this life and there's nothing after this, this is all there is, then I'd want everybody around me to be religious. Because that'd be good for me. <laughs> when a soul is born again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has made a new creature about whom everything in his life can change. His general outlook on life, his tastes and appetites, his habits, his interests, even his political opinions. Whereas he may remain stubborn in the face of facts and the most convincing of arguments, his whole worldview can be radically altered under the influence of the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence within his redeemed soul. This is why soul winning is the highest act of patriotism. And I, I understand, you, some get nervous, and it's like, you have to understand, you know, the heat in our area. You have to understand, you know, the, my age or my, my, my physical infirmity, you know, uh, your schedule may not allow you to be able to partake in door-to-door soul. And I will say this, why in the world a Baptist church would turn away from having some kind of community outreach like door-to-door soul winning is beyond me. I mean, where else are you going to find advertising like that that goes directly to the door, in your, every door in your community and delivers the message of your church, I mean, as well as the gospel. And I, by the way, allow me to say thank you for having invitations to church that include the gospel. I'm getting a little concerned about our independent Baptist brethren, and I know I'm terribly stepping a lot of toes today, Pastor, forgive me, but some of our brethren, they have beautifully crafted invitations to church with not even a single verse of Scripture on them. There's something twisted. There's something backward about that. It's not primarily about the church. It's primarily about Christ. And that person's need of a Savior. So thank you for, and I don't care if it's the old-fashioned Romans Road or some other you know, Scriptures that relate to that the ability of that soul to be born again. But get, keep the gospel on your literature as it goes out the door. That's why for me, if it has the gospel, I don't care if the event was three years ago. I can't throw it away. Man, it goes good in a bathroom stall. It goes good, you know, in a, in a, in a news rack. It goes good on a, on a, on a table, you know, in a, in a hotel lobby uh, where they may just, you know, there's always that chance. You say, what good does it do? I don't know, but a lot better than if I did nothing. Something, and I think it's still better than nothing. Yeah. So let me get back to those who would struggle perhaps with door-to-door soul winning for, 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 for several reasons. But can I just simply then say this? Any type of evangelism in which you engage yourself, even just quietly distributing gospel tracts and Bible-based literature, does more to promote the general welfare of our people than all the policies and programs emanating from Washington, D.C. or from Sacramento. Would you please take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 18. Acts 20, 18. The Apostle Paul was a Jewish patriot. Though he was the Apostle of the Gentiles, and in accomplishing his mission, he traveled extensively throughout the Roman world, His heart and mind were ever with his own Hebrew people. Finally, there came a point at which Paul felt absolutely compelled 
to go home and preach the gospel to his kinsmen according to the flesh. Consider the scene as he left the Gentiles in that city of Ephesus, many of whom he'd led to Christ and others he'd organized into a church and trained their pastor and elders and their teachers and got them going as a church. And now he's bound in the spirit for the shores of Israel and then forward to the holy city of Jerusalem. We find him in Acts 20, verse 18. And when they were come to him, those people from that church that love him so dearly, he said unto them, you know from the first day that I came into Asia, and that's not the Asian, the vast Asian continent, that's a Roman province in modern-day Turkey, referred to as Asia. But it was a place that... Uh, the Lord initially forbade him to go, sending him rather to Macedonia. But then there came a time when the Lord did reopen the door for an effective ministry in that province. And he says in verse 18, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. And I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, notice in verse 22, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. Notice small s spirit, his spirit, his essence, his being was such that I must go home and reach my people. And I, I appreciate, man, when you come out of a third world situation and then the Lord sends you back. I've, there are several from Pacific Baptist Church in Long Beach that was formerly known as the, the uh, uh, Cambodian uh, Baptist Church, Cambodian American Baptist Church, and they've gone back. These are, these are second and third generation Americans and they know from their parents and grandparents how incredibly difficult it is to live in China, uh, forgive me, in, in, in Cambodia with this kind of heat combined with the humidity. And that's most of the year, not just the summer. And, and the extreme poverty and, and all, the, all that goes with living in the third world, all the challenges. And yet they just feel compelled, bound in the spirit to go and reach their people. I've known, I've known Hispanics that way who feel like I, did, I have to go back to Mexico or to my Central American country or to my South American country. I've got to go back. I've got to reach my people. I can do it better than an Anglo. I already know the language. I already know, I, I'm, I'm to some degree immersed in the, in the culture, though largely Americanized. And it'll be much easier for me than it will be for any, any European uh, uh, European background American, and so forth. And that's how, that's how Paul, Paul felt. It's, it's, it's in his own spirit, this, this need to go back. In verse 22, I, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth, witnesseth in every city. And there is everywhere he goes, he encounters this. In verse 23, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So to be bound, you know, for us it's something fairly basic. It's handcuffs behind your back. But for these people, it's, you know, ropes and chains 
and, and there's no, no, no uh, consideration for one's comfort or for blood supply or, you know, none of those things enter into the equation. There's no ACLU. There's, there's no, no, no civil rights attorneys there to, to back you up. You're, you're totally at the mercy of whatever is the policing power. He says, I know there's bonds or I know there's afflictions there. There's going to be raw pain and discomfort when I get there. I know that. I've been forewarned that by the Holy Ghost. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. His was the spirit of the Lord Jesus who set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem to the point that passing through some of the villages in Samaria, he offended the people because he wasn't interested in working miracles at that moment. Was it interesting in preaching? Was it interesting in showing himself? He had one, he has mind set on one thing and his face was toward Jerusalem. So he says there in verse 24, none of these things move me to count on my life dear to myself so that I might finish my course with joy. He had his eyes beyond the immediate toward the eternal, finishing his course in this life, entering into the next life with joy. And the ministry, which I received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. That's how it was, by the way, for most of our missionaries up until the last couple generations. Once they went, that was it. They're gone. You'll likely never see them again. But they went anyway. We have it comparatively easy today. Verse 36, And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore, and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for his words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Chapter 21, verse 1. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them, notice the, the we, his dear friend and companion Luke, the author of both the book of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles is part of the entourage here. And so he, and now we see it going to we. Part, Luke's included himself. He's part of this group here now. Okay, verse 1. And it came to pass, after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Kaos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara, and finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. And when, now when we had discovered Cyprus... We left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlade her burden. You know, as I read those verses, <laughs> I, I have a sense that Paul was in a hurry. He's in a hurry to get home. Too often we're guilty of being in a hurry to avoid responsibility, uh, in a hurry to avoid a burden, in a hurry to avoid discomfort. He's, man, he feels compelled to go where the action is going to be hottest. And he wants to get there yesterday. His desire to share the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, with his people propelled him forward. Verse 4, finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Isn't that remarkable? God himself is saying, Paul, you don't have to do this. 
Paul's spirit you know, just reflecting back to the Lord, Lord, I must do this. Paul, you're going to die prematurely. I don't count my life dear, Lord. It's okay. What's a few years compared to eternity? So in verse number five, when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. Verse number eight, and the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. Now, they are at this point on the shores of what would have been considered Israel proper, at least in the Old Testament sense. And so they're, they're there on the coast of Israel. And it says in verse 8, And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, that is to say one of the first original seven deacons, in the original Baptist church in Jerusalem. And in verse 8, it finishes and abode with him. We, we, stayed, we, we stayed with him for that week. Verse 9, and the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, and so quick explanation, pockets, in fact, pantaloons or pants are a relatively modern invention. And so a man did not have pockets like we have an abundance of today. No such thing as cargo pants in those days. And so a man would, would gird himself, gird, I know to us a girdle is funny, you know, keep, keeps a woman, probably should mine as well, keep, keeps her, you know, keeps her waist looking thinner and, and restricts, restricts the, 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 the center, the, the torso. And so the girdle, ha, 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 it's, it's kind of funny that way. But it, what it, it's simply then a, a, a part of the garment that girds about the man and provides him a place where he can slip things in. He can put his purse, not to be confused with the modern woman's purse, but I have real problems with the guy who invented the purse and then gave it to his wife. And it's so, I wish we'd gotten the purse. That should have been man's attire. It's so practical. But I guess we got the pockets, you got the purse. All right, so fine. And so... Uh, but but it would, you know, that, the, that, that little bag would hold his money and any documents he'd have if he needed to carry a weapon, you know, those would all, to us, would be, we would call it perhaps a, a belt, utility belt type of thing, but it's referred to as a girl. So it says in verse 11, and he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet. So he took this thing and he wrapped it around himself and so you see him, he's down on the ground <laughs> in this weird contortion, he's bound himself up with Paul's girdle, and said in verse 11, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. That's ominous. I guarantee you're going to suffer for me. In verse 12, And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him, begged him, not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am not, re not, I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. This trip back to Israel was not just a nostalgic, sentimental journey for the Apostle Paul. This was deadly, serious business. 
Despite all warnings to the contrary, he harbored a burning desire to tell his Jewish brethren about Jesus. Verse 14, and when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took our carriages, took up our carriages, our baggage, and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one Manasseh of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. The day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. In other words, the, the, Pentateuch, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after their customs. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow upon, on them. Take them and purify thyself with them and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, that thou thyself also walkest disorderly, uh, walkest orderly, forgive me, and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. Now, I've heard preachers wax eloquent about how this partaking of a vow by Paul was a mistake. But you know, the man who gave us the book of Romans and all the other epistles, and I believe Hebrews, I think he knew what he was up to. And it's like, if this, is, if this which, which really means nothing to me, except if it signifies my devotion to Jehovah, as well as my love for Christ, and if it's necessary in order to settle down some of the Jewish brethren as to where I stand on things, and if it opens up doors of utterance for me among my own people, it's a small thing for me to shave my head. It's a small thing to make sacrifice at the temple. It's a small thing to join these four brothers as they fulfill their vows to the Lord. I, I, I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to humble myself. There's going to be times when your pastor is going to be put to the test. He's going to know that there's something that needs to be done for the welfare of the church or perhaps for his own family or perhaps for someone in the church or to reach the, getting the gospel into the, into the local community that not all will agree with. Not all will believe in and not all will be very supportive of. But he has to, you know, while I don't think that expediency or just trying to get something accomplished for the sake of getting it done should be that which propels us to do uh, whatever comes to mind, I do, there is an element of expediency in the ministry. There's a time when common sense needs to rule. When there's just some things that, that, that it, it will make life easier. You know, we, we just went through this thing with the pandemic. 
And were we right or were we wrong the, the way that we handled things? I'm talking about each individual church. Some shut down completely, some refused, some faced in tremendous persecution. You know, who was right, who was wrong? However the Lord led that man was exactly right for your church, even if it may not have been right for mine. So I'm, I'm just trying to say that, uh, you know, these guys want to sit back and second-guess the great apostle Paul. You know, when, when I get to where I've done 1% of what Paul accomplished, I might sit in judgment of him. You and I both know some great men of God who've come under question in recent years, you know. Uh, were they really all that great or not? There's this about them, that about them. And I felt that way. I said, when I get to, when I've written a tithe of their books, when I've led a tenth of their people, to, they've led to Christ. When I've, when I've, when I've, one time in my life, I preach to a crowd even close to the size that they preach to routinely, I might just be in a position, maybe, to kind of sort of sit in a little bit of judgment. But as it is, my ministry being what it is, I figure ain't for me to judge. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not talking about, I'm not excusing, you know, out and out immorality or uh, anything of that nature. But I'm just saying there are just, you know, some questionable things about some of the guys and, and the things that they may have, said, may have said or done. That from that point on, some brethren want nothing more to do with them or anything that they wrote or anything that they preached or anything they stood for. And I just kind of wonder about that sometimes. When you've done, you know, anywhere near half as much as they've done, maybe we can talk. And that's how I feel about this thing with the Apostle Paul and his vow. Verse 27. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the, the people and the law in this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple, and hath polluted the, this holy place. And by the way, they were wrong. Those were not Gentiles he brought in. Those were Jewish brethren. But they, you know, they just assumed a bit too much. But this then began the, the route to Paul's beheading under Emperor Nero. As Paul sought to visit the temple, a riot broke out that nearly caused the mob to attempt to murder the apostle Paul. But then a Roman centurion appeared with his troops and rescued Paul just in time. As he was being led away, Paul asked, the Roman officer's permission to address the crowd. Now, initially, he startled the man by speaking an educated Greek. And he said, Ar, you know, and then you read that story, aren't you the guy that led a bunch of people away into the desert to cause insurrection? No, 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 it's not us. It's not me. He says, okay, you have my leave to speak. And then he spoke to the people in their tongue of Hebrew. This message continued through chapter 22, ending in another riot when Paul rehearsed how the Lord had called him to preach the gospel to those hated Gentile dogs like you and me. In chapter 23, Paul was called before a religious council composed of Pharisees and Sadducees. Almost immediately, he threw that meeting into chaos. I want you to see it, if, if nothing else, just for fun. Chapter 23, verse 6. But when Paul perceived that the one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am called in question. <laughs> he knew what he was about. Why? Verse 7. And when he had so said, 
And when he had said so, <laughs> when he had so said, there we go, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. Why? Verse 8, for, I'm sorry, I go on these asides. You want some help with uh, Acts 2.28? You know, uh, for the, baptism for the remission of sins? Look at, look at how the word for is used sometimes. It's not always in order to get. It's because you already have. Because. Verse 8. Because. For. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. Do you see what he did? He set things up. so that He made a declaration that put all the Pharisees momentarily on his side, though they had hated Christ. And the Sadducees, who likewise hated the Lord... Nonetheless, they were very opinionated against the resurrection. And he cries out, it's about the resurrection I'm here today. So that, that sent them against each other. And verse 9, and there arose a great cry. And the scribes that were of the Pharisees part arose and strove, saying, we find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Rubbing it in, salt in the wound to the Sadducees who don't believe in angels and spirits. And in verse 10, and when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, (laughs) this Roman centurion, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, Sadducees are pulling this way. Pharisees are pulling them that way. He's going to split them in half. It says in verse 10, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring them into the castle, bring him into the castle. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul. For, and here again, because, for, as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Paul accomplished his goal. You say, oh, oh, no, 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 preacher. No sooner got started, he hadn't even really started preaching or teaching at all and hadn't had a big meeting yet with all the brethren and in the church and 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 he's now being spirited away. He's going to end up in Rome and, 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 and he blew it. Oh, no, 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 no. His very notoriety and the dramatic disturbance he inadvertently triggered at the temple undoubtedly caused the gospel to be discussed and debated throughout Israel. Soul winners in the church of Jerusalem and throughout the country would have had ample opportunity to explain that very gospel and to lead souls to Christ as the subject came up again and again. Although Paul himself might have thought his trip to be a failure, and though it did ultimately lead to his eventual execution in Rome, the Lord undoubtedly used this awkward situation to accomplish Paul's most cherished goal, to broadcast throughout Israel the good news of the glorious coming of their Messiah, as well as his death for their sins and his resurrection for their justification. You please advance to Romans chapter 9, book of Romans chapter 9. Although Paul accepted his call from God to reach the Gentiles, he never lost his patriotic zeal that moved him to preach the life-changing gospel of Christ to his own Jewish brethren, even at the potential cost of his own life. Romans 9 verse 1, I see the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. 
For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my Jewish brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. And then going to chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Oh, how I wish that some of us would utter that as a prayer. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for America is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, as so many of our countrymen do, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness through all the various isms that are out there from Catholicism to Buddhism to Hinduism to Mohammedism, or now Islam, and so on and so forth, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. It is God, the creator alone, who is the source of true change within his creatures. He alone can redeem, reform, and revitalize the individual, the family, the extended family, the community, the region, the state, and the nation. He chooses to use his people to do his work among those who are not yet his people. There's no greater task to which you can dedicate yourself than soul winning. It is the highest act of patriotism. If I can please bounce off a statement of your pastors from just a little bit ago. I saw the same comment from a state assemblyman who had said that I've tried for years to get people to fight for their children against the powers that be. He said in a very dramatic fashion, it's now time for you to take your children out of California. You know, uh, we raised our kids in this state. And we, by God's grace, I like to say we raised them fairly successfully. My son now has our church, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we realized there was going to be certain challenges. We had to make certain adjustments. I don't mean to step on any toes, but I'm just going to put it out there to you. We never allowed the state of California to have our children one day in their institutions. Um, They are not public schools. I see it being public schools. They are now indoctrination centers for everything that's vile, wicked, and anti-God. We raised them as teenagers, largely. We were in San Diego those 13 years I mentioned earlier. I don't know if our kids know what a beach looks like in the daytime, at least not in summer. We went to the beach. It was either middle winter, when, when even the most craven Philistines out there on the beach were somewhat covered, or at night. Listen, I want to raise a son to be godly. So we didn't raise them. To, 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 I didn't raise him. Number, number one, there was issues with his dad, lust issues. And I raised a son who's a real, a real boy and a man in the making. I knew he would have the same issues. So we weren't going to go hang out there with their 
naked, even if some of them claim to be Christians. I'm going to do that to my son. I'm not going to tell my, let my daughter think that's normal. That is abnormal. I don't care. Maybe that's what it is today, but historically, that is freaky. The display of nakedness is weird. I'm, I'm, oh, man, you would, you would have thrown the average Russian village into a riot. One woman walking on the street, not even dressed like they do on the beach, just dressed as an autumn down due to church. It, 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 would have, it would have caused a riot. I, I'm just saying that, that, that you know, we, we were very careful what we watched. I don't know if our kids knew for the longest time that things had been produced in color. We were stuck in watching 1950s and 60s, largely pre-color stuff. And even that, most of it, my wife and I would watch first and preview it. And my, my son was just telling a preacher, I was with him a couple of days ago, about, about how he did not know that one of the Laurel and Hardy movies started out in a, in a, in a Western town with all these, uh, uh, you know, those dancers, you know, in a, in a saloon, kick, high kicking and all that, you know, and there's, because... That was always fast-forwarded. They never saw it. <laughs> he didn't know until he was an adult, and he went to show it to his kids. Like, Whoops. I guess that's why Dad never showed us that. And he bypassed it. And we, were very, we, we, we monitored their reading. We censored their reading. I'm, sorry, I'm drifting into something. Oh, my soul. I'll tell you what, Pastor. I love you, brother. I'll tell you what, what, I, what I have said a couple times recent churches. I'll say it to you privately. You can decide if you want to say it to your church. But I have a certain very, very strong opinion about smartphones in the hands of any child. And uh, the certain statement I use is very blunt. It's harsh. It's meant to startle you into, into awake, to, to become awakened to what you're doing to your kids if you give them one. Um, You'd be, if you are absolutely convinced your child cannot exist out in the community without a, a, a cell phone just in case of a problem, may I strongly recommend you get an old flip phone that can only dial 911 or maybe dad and mom, and you check it out like a library book. They only get it when they go out of the house, and as soon as they get back, you check and see if they sent any text or any phone calls you did not approve of. And uh, I'm, I'm just, I don't know how much your kid's worth. I don't know. It's just so, how can that be startling? Man, I mean, it, it's sort of like some of you are treating this thing like, like maybe my dad should have given me Playboy magazines and said, now, son, I know you're only 11, but I, w- I want you just to look at the news articles. All right? You know, only look, there's some, ver- there's some good stuff here for a man to know about how to dress and, some, and, and, you know, some good work ethic. And so you only read that. Don't look at the naughty pictures. And it's like, what am I going to go to? First thing, dad's turn his back. And you think when in every vi- imaginable and unimaginably vile thing is available in a child's hand, you say, well, I check it. They don't look at that stuff. I, well, they know how to get around your parental controls. They may say to you, like my kids, I'm sure, did a couple times, Dad, you don't trust me? <laughs> Thank you, darling. <laughs> I trust you as far as I trust myself. Which means to say, I don't. I don't. I love you so much, I'm not willing. I'd rather you take your handgun and let your, you're loaded and let your five-year-old go play cowboys and Indians with that. 
cops and robbers. By the way, who are the good guys any longer in cops and robbers? I don't, I don't know. And I now, I now just got you kicked off YouTube for saying cowboys and Indians. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, let, let your child play around with a loaded handgun before you give him a smartphone. Yes. Amen, amen, and amen. I'm just simply saying, if you're, if you're willing to keep them in church, if you're willing to give them a Bible-based education, if you're willing to be very careful what they're exposed to, you stick with this pastor in this church. Tried and true. I think you're better off here than just running off to some state you don't know what you're getting yourself into there. Hey, everything's, everything's turning Californiaized. All, all these uh, middle class and upper middle class liberals that want to escape here for economic reasons are taking their stupid politics with them to other places, ruining those places. It's all, gonna, it's all coming tumbling down. Might as well stay where God planted you. All right. John Wesley was a humble preacher. And uh, he got into an extended prayer meeting. And when it was all over, they just, he and that group he'd, he had with him decided that they were going to strive for true righteousness, to be as pleasing to God as possible. They developed certain methods of accomplishing that, not all that dissimilar from what many independent Baptists do. And they were given the name Methodists. And thus was born Methodism, Methodism. But it's said that as a result of that prayer meeting and the spreading influence of that humble group of believers, those meek and mild people, those just ordinary Englishmen, it's been said that John Wesley single-handedly saved England from revolution. We are verging on Civil War II. Our country is ripping itself apart. Churches like yours, pastors like yours, people like you are the only hope America has. But if we keep what we know to be true within these four walls, if Wesley just kept it, you know, his little group, and don't, don't, sh- 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 don't, don't tell anybody about this, it would have done nothing for his country. We need to get the gospel out. If you are absolutely terrified and just, you know, I, I could never talk to someone, well, praise God for tracks. I, I, I try to practice what I preach. I, I carry with me, I actually went online to find old checkbook holders. Or in this pocket, I could have Spanish tracks. In this pocket, I carry tracks for my ministry. I got some of your invitations. Thank you very much. You who did our, our room, by the way, thanks for the gift basket. Thanks for the beautiful room. It was marvelous. And I'm so glad I got some tracks and I got some gospel I can leave around. And uh, most recently, the Chick Publications put out Chick Comics at half price, nine and a half cents a piece. I got a thousand. I got a, a box load. Working my way through those, we put out quite a few already this trip. And just, I love restroom stalls. I love cracked open car windows. And and if it's <clears throat> and if it's closed. Then uh, on the windshield or on the, in the door, uh, I, I, there'll, there'll be at least one hidden in our hotel room we checked out. Someone, somebody, besides the one that'll be there for, with our key for the person that cleans our room, besides the one I gave to the girl at the front desk. Uh, and, and, and it just becomes fun. You go shopping, put one, leave one in the shopping cart. You go shopping for clothes, how about... <clears throat> 
every garment you try on that has a pocket, <clears throat> you just <clears throat> every shoe you try on and you decide you don't want to buy, but just slide a tract inside. Now that can get cost. If you guys got serious about it, it can become costly for the church. A lot of churches now you got to buy your tracks even from the church, and you ought to be willing to make that investment. As long as he's willing to provide tracks for you and scriptures, man, take advantage of it. But I mean, it ought to be a constant problem keeping that track rack in the back filled. Just there is constantly going out the door, going out the door, going out the door, going out. And not just to sit in your trunk or your, your car. Get them out by any number of fun, creative means. Uh, I, I, I so, there's a businessman in our church who I, I strongly annoy because if it has Bible on it, I can't throw it away. If it's ripped up, at the very least, I'm with, he's with me in the car one day, and it's like, Pastor, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, coming out of this parking lot, we're crossing over a, a sidewalk, and I've got this torn up thing. It's got gospel on it. It's got some verses on it. So I, I dropped it on the, the, the ground. It's holy litter. Pastor, you can't do that. Why not? I mean, people throw their fast food stuff all the time. I'm leaving something that may, the wind may pick it up and blow it to the foot of just the right person. That's just what they, I'm just saying that, just have fun with it. But let's do everything as well as helping this man reach these doors in the community, as well as whatever else you guys are doing to get the gospel out, have a part in. I think every Christian should have their place in two ministries. One, a ministry of outreach, helping get the church, the gospel out, and you ought to have a ministry of inreach, reaching in to help the body of Christ here. I've got one last statement to make. It came to me today. And um, I'm not known for profundity, but I hope that this may just help somebody. And sometimes I'll say, write this down. They'll give some kind of a humorous, goofy comment, like, beware of steps, how they stare at you. You know, something I wouldn't expect you to write that in the flyleaf of your Bible. Arthur Miracle said, but I, I would suggest to me, I want to make note of this. Along the line of the Apostle Paul, if we can't save America, let's at least save Americans. We can't save America if she's too far gone. We can't save California. Let's save some Californians. We can't save America. Let's at least save some Americans. Father, thank you so much for giving us something something I do not think is frivolous. I do not think it's foolish. I do not think, Lord, that it has uh, any lack of value. I think, Lord, it's the, it's the highest thing that we can involve ourselves in, doing something to get the gospel out. Lord, every bill. I know a lot of stuff's now paid online, but every bill we do send a check in, if that's still done by people here, should include a gospel tract in it for someone at the other end to encounter and deal with, and perhaps it may just save a soul. We will never meet the sight of heaven. Well, every library book should be returned with a gospel tract hidden deep inside for the next person. And while we're at the library, we can stick a whole bunch of tracts and a whole bunch of books. Not going to hurt anybody. Not going to be a big deal. We never know who, whose eternity may just be changed in the next weeks, months, or years ahead, and they finally someone gets their hand on that tract. Father, so many ways, utilizing social media to get the gospel out, finding ways, Lord, even in fun stuff, 
creative ways to get the gospel, as well as good old-fashioned knocking at the neighbor's, on the neighbor's door, taking the gospel door-to-door in the community, preaching from a street corner, and many other ways we could still have an impact. Pray, God, even if it someday becomes illegal, we'll still find ways, if we have to print them ourselves or write them by hand, we'll still keep the gospel going forth. Father, pray now that you please help us have the heart of the Apostle Paul, who would be willing to consider himself accursed from Christ, that he might have an impact upon Israel, his nation, and upon Hebrews, his people. May we have a similar zeal. I could wish myself a curse from Christ if it would mean America would return to the Lord. Pray we'll have that level of love and commitment for our fellow Americans. Thank you, Lord, for those who go to foreign countries to take the gospel. May we, Lord, knowing that you have us here, have as much zeal for reaching our fellow countrymen for which we do thank you in Jesus' name. As we remain in an